today is Easter Sunday, and um, I love Easter Sunday. I get up excited. I think today is the day of celebration. The church should be the best at doing Easter Sunday. It isn't about chocolate Easter eggs, although we appreciate, thank you, Hannah, for spending the church's budget on Easter eggs. But it is great to celebrate and celebrate together, to sing those songs of, yes, you know, you overcome the grave. It was an incredible experience 2,000 years ago. What Jesus did for us today, we can still celebrate. And tomorrow, Lottie and myself and the family, we are off to an event called Spring Harvest. For those of you who don't know, Spring Harvest is a gathering of Christians all over the UK who come together. Around 20,000 people get together of, across four different, uh, over four different weeks at Butlins. Butlins, yes. I have worked out that Lottie and myself, we have spent around six months living in Butlins chalets while attending various Spring Harvest events over the year. And so this year is no different. We're going. A few other people from the church are going as well. And we're serving on the team. We're looking forward to participating in a big event. It's an honor to do uh, that and to have a part to play in such a a big event. Uh, But it was a Spring Harvest that I had one of my biggest life-changing encounters. It was 1993. I know some of you weren't born, and some of you were well born by that point. But in 1993, I went to Spring Harvest. I was, let me think, I was 19 years old, and there was a lovely-looking girl dancing on the platform. And I wasn't lost in worship. I was lost in, and the tongue rolled out, and the arm, and I was like, Wow. And I met my wife, Lottie, at Spring Harvest. I know, it gets worse. It gets worse. That was in Skegness in 93. In 1995, in Skegness, I asked her to marry me. I know, ah, but you've not been to Skegness, obviously. Or you're not very romantic, I'm not sure which. But it's not a great place to have on your CV romantic moments. But we got, we got, we didn't get married at Spring Harvest. We met at Spring Harvest. We got engaged. But it was a life-changing encounter. We celebrate our 20th anniversary this year of being married. And I want to talk today and the next few weeks, we're going to talk about encounters. Encounters that change lives. See, Jesus encountered his disciples from the moment of his resurrection, Easter Sunday, and to the moment of his ascension, 40 days later, there are 11, um, there are 11 documented encounters with some of Jesus' followers. Not ones and twos, but some of those massive groups of people who encountered Jesus. So our new teaching series called 40 Days with Jesus, we're going to look at what does it mean to encounter Jesus Christ. So I want to read to you some more verse from scripture here from John 20. John is a great gospel. It just tells things in a slightly different way to the other three gospels. But just want to read to you from John 20, verses 1 through to 18, just to kind of get us all in the same place. And I've got a few thoughts about what it means to encounter Jesus, and then we'll finish. So here we go. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I've got to say, right, the book is written by a guy called John, the one who Jesus loved. I love the fact that he mentions himself, but doesn't mention his own name. He goes, oh, I'm just the one that Jesus loved. I mean, there's a biography and a half. Just pop my name in there. And it gets, it gets worse, obviously written by a guy, because then they move on. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. 
So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple, the other disciple outran Peter. He had to put it down in history for people to read for 2,000 years, I'm a faster runner than Peter is. I mean, that's such a boy thing to do, isn't it? You still remember when you were at primary school, who won the race? It's important. And here we go. They outran Peter, reached for the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. But Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, he said, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. Must mean something about the way he said her name. But she turns to him and cries out, Rabbanar, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them his message. Easter Sunday, a day of encounter. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you for this incredible day. I thank you this moment each year we stop, we pause, we remember that you didn't just die, you didn't just live a good life, but you came alive again. You overcame death. And that power that overcame death and overcame sin can live in each one of us and we can be fully alive in you. Help us to understand something new and fresh this morning we pray. Amen. As already mentioned um, this morning by Hannah, it's quite traditional when Christmas, uh, sorry, Christmas or Easter service even, for the person in the meeting to say, Christ is risen. And everyone says he is risen indeed. But, but I often think, what, what would happen if the world really believed that? What would happen if the world really believed that Jesus was risen, that he was alive? J. John, a well-known evangelist and writer, says this, if the resurrection of Jesus did happen, then the implications are breathtaking taking. Everything the Bible says about Jesus is true. God can be known as Father, forgiveness is possible, heaven is attainable, and death is just a short sleep before eternal joy. Whether or not the resurrection happened isn't just a fact of history, it is a fact that changes our future. I read an article this morning by somebody who said he used to be an atheist, and then two things happened. The first was his wife became a Christian, and that messed with his head, because he was like, oh, now, now what am I going to do? He even considered divorce as an option. 
But he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll study it so I can correct her. And he studied all the historical documents about the, the death and the resurrection. He said that was the key. The resurrection was the key. Everything else, Jesus, did he live and did he die? Yes. But did he come back to life again? And he studied not just scripture, but historical evidence. And he came to the point of going, this has to be true. And if it is true, it is going to change my life, not just my wife's. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ, based not on a little moment of, oh, okay, that sounds interesting, but a moment of discovering hard, factual evidence. I thought it was amazing. Went from being a complete atheist, not believing in God at all, to suddenly looking at the evidence of the resurrection, going, this must be true. If it's true, it must also change our lives. So two things I want to learn today. Number one, Jesus really is alive. Jesus really is alive. This isn't just a nice thing to sing. And secondly, if he is alive, we can really live. That's why I get frustrated when I come across miserable Christians. I mean, honestly, it's like they've got the joy, 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 joy down in their heart. It's so deep. It's so buried that no one sees it. It's like, really? If we are fully alive, we should be the best party animals out there. We should be the ones who bring the best wine to the party, not tell people off for having a drink. We should be the ones who look for fun in every opportunity. And I just think sometimes Jesus came to give us life and we've spent the rest of our time trying to correct him. If Jesus is alive, we should fully be alive as well. It's so important. Over these next six Sundays, we look at this topic of 40 days with Jesus. And I encourage you in your connect groups to follow this. They've all got, um, the connect group leaders have all got notes we're going to follow over these next six weeks. Do find time to ask the question, what must it have been like to be walking with Jesus those 40 days? To have those interactions with him, having known him before his death, and then meeting him after he was resurrected. That must have been incredible moments. And today we'll look at this Mary Magdalene and her connection with him. You know, I love the, the new Sherlock Holmes, those of you who've seen it, the way he looks at evidence and the words kind of just appear in front of his eyes, like some sort of, you know, kind of technological, woo, which just appears. Wouldn't that be amazing if you had to do that? But here we're looking at these facts and we need to kind of ask the questions, what if Jesus is alive, how do we know that to be true? What are the facts? Well, firstly, he wasn't inside the tomb. The evidence is clear. They went, they looked. He was not there. He was absent. And John, the writer here, in great detail, describes the fact it was Mary that found an empty tomb is actually quite shocking. In the time of Jesus, the first century um, Israel, women would be seen as poor witnesses. In a court of law, you would ignore a woman's comments. They would be irrelevant to evidence. You wouldn't even accept them. The fact that John mentions it and uses Mary as the primary witness, actually, historians say, gives credibility. Because other writers would have just dismissed a woman's comments at that time. Sorry, ladies. And they would just say, well, what do the men say? So Mary was a witness, and that's an important fact. Secondly, when they arrived, not only was the tomb empty, but the stone had been moved away. The stone was not like a pebble. This was like a one to two ton stone that would have been sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers. Whoever moved it, where had they gone? And how did they do that? Thirdly, the disciples did not know this was going to happen. I love the fact that they come into this tomb, they see it all empty, they go, oh, 
Now I know what Jesus was talking about. When he said, if you tear the temple down in three days' time, I'll rebuild it, I never quite understood what he was on about, but now I'm understanding. And it was all, imagine it's all clicking into place. And fourthly, they go into the tomb, and all the, the, um, the clothes are still there. That the, 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 Jesus would be wrapped in the clothes. Now, if, if your body would have been stolen by grave uh, robbers, they would have taken the cloth because it was the most valuable thing. And also, who would try and rob a grave and unwrap a body to steal the body and leave the clothes behind, carefully folded? I mean, you haven't got that much time. So those facts make people realize this has got to be true. This has got to be real, that Jesus, the tomb was empty, a significant evidence there from the Gospel of John. The second thing is, he was present with the people. He appeared numerous times to the people, his friends and others around. He appears, we mentioned a few times this morning, to Mary in the garden. I love the fact she thinks he's a gardener, and I love the fact she starts to tell him off. What have you done with him? How dare you? And then he uses her name. What an amazing moment of recognition that must have been. And Jesus appears to over 500 people on various, about 11 different occasions over the next 40 days. The former Chief Justice, Lord Darling, said this, In its favor as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. That's the statement, isn't it? So the question is, so what? What is the implication to you and to me? What does it matter? If he is risen indeed, what does that mean to you and to I today? And the, like I've just said, we can be really alive, fully alive. Nudge the person next to you, make sure they're still breathing. If they're breathing, they have no right to do anything but fully live and live that life to the full that John talks about in John 10.10. 10. The good news is that our, our, the death and darkness and despair can be overcome because Jesus is alive. He changes everything. Encountering Jesus transforms lives. You know, we're looking into doing um, the food bank. will be starting on the 11th of April. Just literally a couple of weeks' time, we'll be opening up the doors of the food bank. And Joe Topley and Joe and others are working hard on that. But it is not just about feeding people that will see people's lives transformed. That's their place of need, and that's where we need to meet people, because that's what Jesus did. But it's when they encounter Jesus themselves, either through the people who are serving the food bank, or by meeting Jesus themselves, either coming to a church or something similar, that's the moment of transformation, not just being fed. That's a starting point. But Jesus brings true transformation. He brings this, um, overcomes the power of darkness. Mary, it says in John 20, set out when it was dark. She left, she got up early when it was still dark. But when she arrives at the tomb, it says in Mark's gospel that it was after sunrise. She traveled in the dark where she'd arrived in the light. And a transformation had taken place. A literal one, but also, I believe, a spiritual one. That if you might feel like you're surrounded by darkness, Jesus brings light. John 8 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know if you feel someone's like you're walking in darkness, you're stumbling, you're not sure what's around you. Jesus promises to his death and resurrection, makes a, a promise that he will give us light. 
The second thing is fear of death. I know many people who are afraid of dying. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of getting ill. And many people throughout history have tried unsuccessfully to slow down the aging process. Many celebrities have tried all kinds of gimmicks and end up on the front page of newspapers and magazines when it all goes horribly wrong to stop the aging process. But unfortunately, last time I looked, 100% of people still die. It is a fact. But the fear of death is something that Jesus can overcome. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He promises physical death is not a thing to be feared because for Christians, physical death is not the end. And second, in this life, we can enjoy real life, life to the full, life of joy and love and peace, forgiveness for our past and a hope for our future. And lastly, the grip of despair gets broken by the resurrection. The despair affects so many people. Nationally, one in four people face some form of a mental uh, distress in the UK. And that could be something from sort of mild, you know, kind of concern to acute anxiety. To, to people struggle regularly. You probably have some friends, work colleagues, family members who are struggling in one form or another with some of this. Maybe they are depressed or they are just trying to overcome difficulties. But Jesus promises to overcome our despair. He gives us hope. And this is what Easter Day is all about. It takes away all of those struggles. That moment when Mary is in despair. She is crying at the the opening to the tomb. She does not know what is going on. She is confused. She is lost. She's looking at an empty tomb. And everything is just messed up. And then she meets Jesus. And he speaks to her by name and everything changes can i encourage you if you're facing a time of despair i say reach out for jesus let him speak to you let him connect with you let him use your name because he wants to have a personal relationship with you he doesn't want to have a relationship with people generally he wants a relationship with you personally he wants to know your name and spend time with you jesus wants to have a relationship with us so we can be fully alive. He wants to overcome our darkness, overcome our despair, and overcome the difficulties that we are facing in this time. That death does not hold us. Death did not hold him. And we could be alive. I don't know if you're still seeking Jesus today, whether you're here uh, Easter Sunday because maybe family members said it'd be a good thing to do to come to church on Easter Sunday or whether you've been a regular member of this church or other churches, and it's something of a routine you do of coming to church on a Sunday. But I would like just to spend a few moments, if we get the band up, I'd like to spend a few moments just asking God to come and be with us. Can I just ask you, wherever you are, to close your eyes for a moment, and if you're comfortable to do this, just to, to hold your hands out, and just to say, God, I want to meet with you again. I want to be like Mary was in that garden where she meets with who she thought was the gardener, but was actually the Son of God. And I want to lead us all in a prayer. I want to lead us all in a prayer of salvation. Because for me personally, I often find Easter Sunday is a time where I recommit myself to Jesus Christ. 
I remind myself of the facts, and I choose once more to follow him. And I would like to just lead us in a prayer of salvation. And if, you've, if you're comfortable doing this, if you are a Christian, just repeat it, and let's just recommit ourselves to following Jesus Christ. And if you've never said yes to following Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then I want to encourage you maybe this time to say, yeah, I'd love to encounter this person. I'd love to know the Son of God who calls me by name. I'd like to have a life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. Let's just spend a few moments of quiet, then I'll lead us in a prayer. So, Father God, on this Easter Sunday, we pray. Let's uh, pray together. I'll read a line. You can then recite it back. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for overcoming the power of sin and death. Thank you that you are alive today. I choose to open the doors of my heart. I choose to receive your love. I choose to receive your forgiveness. I choose to live my life to the full in following you. Amen. Amen. Lord, we're such a grateful people this morning. We want to live a thankful and joyful life. We want to celebrate that you are not a dead historical character, but you are alive and you are the Son of God. And we celebrate you today. And Lord, may we live our lives that much better. May we live our lives that much fuller. Because we know you're our God. And we choose to follow you and live the way you've called us to live. To make a difference everywhere we go. Every place we are. Whoever we meet. May we bring a piece of you with us, we pray. That as people encounter us, they would actually encounter you, Lord Jesus, we pray.